Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, I'm Ed Thornton. On this week's podcast, I'm talking to the Reverend Helen Georgi Gould, who is a member of the Interim Ministry Steering Group. She speaks about what interim ministry is, why it can work for some parishes, such as those navigating change or seeking healing of conflict and what the future might hold for it. Until March, Helen was Interim Ministry Advisor for Chelmsford Diocese, and she has put together the Interim Ministry Resource Book to support and expand interim ministry in the Church of England. Read more about interim ministry and download the resource book at interimministry.org.uk. You can also read an extended feature on interim ministry in this week's Church Times. First of all, Helen, um, for, for those who are, are not familiar with interim ministry, could you briefly explain really what it is? Well, interim ministry became possible in the Church of England in 2015, and they are um, short-term strategic appointments to a parish, not to a deanery or other uh, grouping, to bring about a process of transition, moving from one situation to a new situation. And it's based on a process developed over 40 years in the Episcopal Church and other churches in North America and Canada, also used in Scotland, in the Church of Scotland for the past 20 odd years. Um, It's a process of working through um, history, uh, Christian identity, uh, mission opportunities, what the assets are of a community, a church community, and how these can be brought into play in creating a vision for the future. So that's the process that interim ministry works through. It's participative, it's collaborative, and it it really draws on scripture and the, the Holy Spirit to find a way forward. And I think that's what's been so so appealing about interim ministry to me and many others, really, in moving into it. What are some of the circumstances under which an interim minister will be appointed to a parish? Interim ministers would be appointed to a parish to deal with a number of situations. It might be to deal with a, a situation where there's been a crisis of some kind, um, possibly conflict, Uh, Sometimes where an incumbent very sadly has passed away in office or where there's been other circumstances that resulted in an incumbent leaving suddenly or where there's a need for parish reorganisation to explore that, what that might look like. Any number of reasons where it might not be expedient to make an appointment just at that moment where there isn't time needed both for the the parish or parishes to um, work through um, some possibilities for the future. I'm just quite interested in um, interim ministers, the sort of backgrounds they've had. Have they often had other careers where they can bring relevant skills and expertise to this role or or a long time in in ministry that brings them experience of handling things like conflict and change in parishes? I think that's a really good question. I'd love to say that we had lots of data to tell you the answers about that. I think um, the evidence would be anecdotal. Um, No, they're not necessarily people that have got long years experience in ministry. I certainly didn't have. And it cannot, it's not always a qualifier for interim ministry that you have had long experience. 
Um, I've got a colleague who's working on the steering group with me who has been 35 years in ordained ministry. And he says he felt completely ill-equipped to come into work in interim ministry and found the training that we did in January, which is the only training he'd had in 12 months of interim ministry, absolutely essential. So he would be very much an advocate for saying we need re-equipping for this process of interim ministry. And we mustn't assume that just because somebody has been in the job years that they know how to bring about that transformation. Um, I think you need to be um, good at change management and have a heart and a love for seeing change um, happen in communities in positive ways. You often find people coming in from those kinds of backgrounds who have had previous careers. Uh, again, a wide variety. Another colleague um, was uh, an optometrist, but has worked in change management situations in the NHS and so brought that skill in with her. Uh, again, another colleague who worked in interim ministry successfully worked in NHS change management. So you find people coming in with a broad range of skills to work in interim situations. But I think at the heart of it is to be an interim, you really have to be what we call a non-anxious presence. You have to be able to feel comfortable working in uh, quite a dynamic situation. Uh, you have to be prepared to be collaborative and, and work with other people. You have to be prepared to be, I don't want to say thick-skinned because it's not quite right. Um, you have to be prepared to be sensitive and to be able to take the flack because, of course, change makes people anxious. And you're there to come alongside them and work with them and support them and help them feel safe and confident in working through this change. You have to have the ability to do that with people. Are you able to say um, broadly about any, any situations you've ministered in as an interim minister that you found where the ministry has been particularly effective or rewarding for you as, as a priest? I would have to say, just to answer the second bit of your question first, what really surprised me about the IM5 Plus survey that we did last year, which is the first survey of interim ministry five years after it became possible, what really took me by surprise and was really humbling was the number of people who described interim ministry as a joy and a privilege, exciting and rewarding. And one person um, had said it had really changed their inner core sense of priestly ministry uh, and I think we need to reflect on that longer as a church and say what is interim ministry teaching us about our vocation really to be leaders in the church I think there's still a lot to explore and uncover there personally yes I've been in some quite remarkable situations which have just reassured me of the power of the Holy Spirit working within churches and alongside our, our clergy and lay leaders in bringing about transformation. There's one story I always tell because it sticks out so profoundly in my own mind and was such a significant experience for me in interim ministry. I came to a, a church which had been through a terrible period of conflict where 40% of the electoral roll had 
um, gone elsewhere as a result of um, the breakdown and the pastoral relationship with their incumbent. Um, it was a very sad scenario. The, the, the remaining folk had been um, struggling through vacancy for three years and were tired. And I, I went through a process of um, just listening, really, to people that had stayed and people that had left and, and had the most extraordinary experience driving home from one of these um, meetings with people saying, God, what are we going to do with all this? How are we going to bring it all together? And the thought immediately came back Good Friday. And I was shocked because I said, well, we don't do that on Good Friday, do we? But of course we did. And the Archdeacon and I just shared anonymized comments, both positive and negative, from these interviews, this listening process, uh, as part of the Good Friday service. And it had remarkable power. And uh, the incoming Bishop of Barking, which was, was Bishop Peter Hill, who I've worked with so much over the past five years, generously penned a letter of apology to that parish. And that was read out at the end of this. And the sense of healing was palpable. It really changed things. It, it brought that era of pain and sadness to uh, more of a close, shall we say. And, and it brought the point of, of movement towards closure. So, yes, I can, I can talk about that as my profound experience of learning and actually a real privilege in sharing what the Holy Spirit was doing there. And while it didn't mean that people came running back, it did mean that there was a new atmosphere, that people were able to have a sense of peace and being able to let go to some extent of, of what had happened in the past and move on, whether they were staying in their, their new parishes uh, or not going anywhere. So it was a very, very healing experience. I haven't been in quite a, a, such a dramatic situation elsewhere, but I've seen other situations where lay people have just had that opportunity to try out new ideas and going from this time of uncertainty um, I was working in one parish where I suddenly realized they had they'd never they were two parishes become separate benefices and they'd, they'd never had that opportunity to explore who they were as individual parishes to go through this process of exploring and trying out new forms of ministry was really exciting and you began to see lay people coming to the floor exploring their gifts uh, trying new things it was a really started to be a flourishing time so yeah it can be a really exciting process to be part of and to watch unfold sure yeah I mean you you um you're quoted in our cover feature on interim ministry this week saying that in empowering lay people is is really key for an interim minister. Do you think an interim minister is particularly well placed to do that because they're only going to be there for a short period? Have they got perhaps less to sort of prove than a than a permanent incumbent? Yes, I think so. And I think um because it's a necessity, you know, you you're not you're not sort of changing you're not facing change in the future at some point. You're you're dealing with change now. You hit the ground really praying, but also running and um, people are aware of their that dynamic. And once you start saying to people, well, what can we try? What sort of things do you think you'd like to explore? What do you think would work for this community? People like and enjoy that process. It's their church. you know. People enjoy the process of, of process of creation, shall we say, recreation, participating and suggesting new ideas. 
And I think um, once people realise they have that freedom to contribute and to try out and to, to take on board and try out new ideas, I think they really run with it. I came across a really interesting um, example in our training course in January of, of somebody who said they'd been working in a parish as an interim minister for uh, a while. And when the time came for a new incumbent to be appointed, um, the uh, proposed new incumbent set started talking about their vision. <laughs> this group of PCC members actually pulled them back and said, actually, I think you mean it's our vision. So I, I think, you know, it does change the dynamic, dynamic really. And I think it's really speaking to this vision that Archbishop Stephen talks about in his vision and strategy of us becoming a more humble church. And um, perhaps part of that learning about humility is recognising that sense of partnership between us all um, uh, as clergy, lay people, all forms of different ministers, and above all, the partnership with God through the Holy Spirit in what God wants to do in our churches. And can I just ask about your um, source book that you've published? And what some of the does it um, give some advice on sort of what does and doesn't work for for an interim minister? What sort of skills and experience they need? Yeah, um, I've got a copy of the source book here. Actually. So you, yeah, I, we, we we you can print one of these down. Uh, uh, you download and print one of these from the um, interim ministry website. Um, and basically, the source book is is really that it's a source book of guidance, process, um, uh, examples of interim ministry. It's got tools in it. It, it. It's designed to be something that you can use to equip yourself to appoint out or to work in interim ministry. So it works at all sorts of different levels. There's materials there for archdeacons and area deans in considering the appointment of uh, interim ministers. And there's materials for interim ministers themselves. We need to recognise that when the Church of England launched into interim ministry um, in 2015, it did so without equipping. It didn't train people or issue other than the guidance that was issued to bishops. There was nothing else. So we've really um, had a naught to 60 start, if you like, in interim ministry. And this is OK a little bit later, but finally offering some equipping to those appointing interim ministers and those working with interim ministry. So there's all sorts of things there. There is a programme of interim ministry uh, to work through, if you like. And at the, the back of the source book, is a whole series of tools and resources with instructions for how uh, interim ministers and others could work through a process of transition in their, their own church communities. I would really love to see, perhaps even parishes in vacancy at the moment, being empowered to pick up this and say to their archdeacons, can we do some of this? Is there somebody who has the skills within our own parish? as a layperson to lead us in this process. It's there for everybody. It's not just for ordained interim ministers to use. And I think that's the exciting thing about it. These are just tools for transition, if you like. And in terms of the climate in, in the wider church, do you, do you think among archdeacons and bishops, 
they're receptive to this idea if, if, if parishes went to them during vacancy? I don't know uh, how receptive they are um, to lay people picking up the tools and using them. I, I would like to think that they would be receptive, um, but that would have to be tested. How receptive are they to interim ministry? Very at the moment. Um, I've now sadly left my post in interim ministry in the Church of England. But in the run up to concluding that role, I was uh, really getting a call or an email every few days from an archdeacon asking about interim ministry and how they make appointments and having quite a number of conversations about those appointments. I mean, if you, if you look at the pages of Church Times, you can see the volume of interim appointments increasing now. And it's a really exciting and interesting time, actually, in terms of interim ministry appointments. Because finally, what we're seeing is these resources are ready to go now. And I think they are just at the right time for the Church of England, particularly at a time when it's finding itself um, facing, you know, un under pressure and finding it facing re resource limitations, having to be creative and looking about looking at other ways of making appointments that transition parishes. So I think we're beginning to enter a new phase where people will experiment with the model. And you can see that happening now. I was really interested to have a conversation with an archdeacon even a couple of weeks ago um, who was explaining that they're not appointing an interim minister because a parish had difficulties, but because they wanted to test out a pastoral reorganisation over a period of years. And, and that's something that they started to witness in the United States. Um, model began to be finessed, if you like starting to to use it in different ways and I do fully do think we'll end up moving down the same road there's a some real questions being asked and I, I'm conscious some senior folk in the Church of England have asked these questions why is it called interim ministry and at the point that we uh, published the guidance and the legislation came into force we decided to use the word interim I do wonder whether, with hindsight, it, it will be uh, a better term will be transitional ministry. And that's something that I'm personally exploring, because I think that gives us a broader canvas. And I, I do wonder whether we will, a few years down the line, start amending um, the legislation and our way of approaching this to allow for that flexibility of dealing with this crisis situations and having one approach to that more widespread transition over a period of years where you're really recovering and helping find a parish, find a secure way forward, which takes time. And also these more sort of holding appointments, shall we say, where you'd actually like an interim to be a more long-term appointment in the fullness of time, but you just need to test it to see if that's going to work. And, and I think we need that flexibility to try out the model now now that the Church of England is finally engaging with it and understanding what it is, I think it would be good and healthy to have that period of exploration and reflect back perhaps in, in 12 or 18 months' time when we've done that to see how our model is changing. Um, and perhaps just finally, in terms of the future of interim ministry or, or whatever it becomes in name, um, talked about the funding, the financial challenges the church is facing. I mean, is, is there funding there to, to support this and, and develop it in the future? 
Sadly, no, um, not at the moment. Um, we were really fortunate in having um, strategic development funding in Chelmsford to take forward the model and enormously grateful to the team at the SDF for giving us that time to experiment because it's yielded all these resources for the Church of England. And I, I, I think that has been particularly helpful. Um, how we go forward at this time is a bit of an unknown. The steering group that came into play happened at the end of the very end of our inaugural, if you like, training programme, pilot training programme in interim ministry in January. And when we got to the end, colleagues on that course were really keen to find a way forward. So, no, it isn't easy to see the future. I, I'm, I'm very much hoping and trusting that our senior colleagues are uh, giving some time and attention to thinking how interim ministry is going to be rolled out and how they're going to support other colleagues, senior staff particularly, in, in understanding interim ministry. I think our experience and um, our sense in the steering group, and that consists at the moment of uh, five interims in diocese um, uh, across the Church of England, I think our sense was that perhaps those of us who've been practitioners and working close to the ground and actually applying the legislation, working with the, the regulations at the coalface, if you like, have probably got a clearer understanding of how the model works, perhaps than some colleagues uh, at a, a more senior level who are just coming into using the model. So we have a greater idea, perhaps, of, of how it works and how it can be work, how, how it can work for the future. So there is this kind of a need for um, the Church of England to catch up strategically on how interim ministry works. You can't just press a button and interim ministry happens. You know, it, it's still a, a process. You still need to equip people. Uh, you still need to understand what works and what doesn't work in terms of interim appointments. I, I very much hope that interim ministry will not be used as um, an opportunity to casualise clergy, which is always a danger, I suppose, at a time of resource paucity. It would be the worst thing, and it would be, um, that's not the way we use interim ministry. I, and I think there just needs to be great care and caution in, in considering how and why we're making interim ministry appointments. Because you know, if, we, if we're just using it as an opportunity to cover a, an unstable period and not really engage with the process of strategic change open-heartedly, then it, it won't achieve what it's intended to achieve. So it, it will be fruitless. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to The Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode.